At Meridian Audio, we deliver extraordinary experiences. We create moments that bring people together, forge shared connections and make unforgettable memories. Don't just take our word for it. Experience audio as it's meant to sound. With a visit to our Cambridgeshire HQ, it's the home of high-res audio. Hello everybody and welcome to The Integrated Home, the podcast that's produced by the Home Integration Community for the Home Integration Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and in this episode we're taking an in-depth look at one particular project in Notting Hill, London. How does technology fit within a new build scheme? What part does it play in the overall design and how can it add value from a developer's perspective? Welcome to The Integrated Home. Today we're in Eaton Square, London, and joined by Alan Waxman, the Managing Director of Prime Developer, Landmass, and Luke Crutcher, Director at integration firm Living Home Technology. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hello. So, Alan, describe Landmass for our audience. We are what I'd call an unusual type of developer for a number of reasons. First of all, we actually enjoy looking at projects where there's quite a lot of negatives and seeing how we can then turn those negatives to a positive. The second thing is that when we're creating a project, we don't actually care at all initially about the finishes. A lot of people, when they look at design, they look immediately at what it's going to be, how it's going to be finished. But for us, it's a complete red herring because the key to our good design is how we use the space. The finishes come very much thereafter because even if the finishes are fantastic, but if the space is no good, it's really rubbish. And on the design, again, one of our USPs is that it's a lot more difficult to make something simple and elegant as against a very, very fancy. And again, that's a trap that a lot of designers and developers fall into because they think more is more, whereby we think less is more. And we take our inspiration quite a lot from uh, Steve Jobs at Apple because the way he looked at design and the time he put into it, he drove everybody completely nuts (laughs) because they didn't understand what he was about he looked at 32 different shades of white to find the right white for the first iPod. So when people went to buy it, they didn't know why they liked it, but they liked it. And that's, in essence, my uh, role as a developer of presenting a product where before people walk in, they're already excited to see what they're going to get. And when they walk in, they don't know why they like it, but they really, really like it. For a developer, a lot of what you do is design. Do you offer that as a subcontracted service to other developers? Well, funnily enough, what happened in 2009, we did a project in Belgravia where we won Best Interior Design in the Country and Best Development in London. And on the back of that, we started to then get uh, inquiries from uh, private individuals, investors and other developers. So we now work with uh, an array of different types of clients, uh, either on a consultancy basis, uh, doing a full turnkey, doing development management, and also property staging, because uh, many developers or investors, when they finish the property, it's not selling as quickly and as well as they wish it would, and they bring us in Uh, in order to sort that out and to get them all sold. So we're very happy to design, um, in fact, anywhere in the world for private individuals, uh, should they wish to have a home in London, we can also help them find somewhere a bit scruffy and modernized and then design it for them. So in essence, we can add value for them as well. Excellent. And Luke, give us a bit about living home technology. Okay, so yeah, we've been going for 15 years now. I'm one of the three brothers. Um, and yeah, so we've been heavily involved with high-end residential um, 15 years now. So yeah, we've, we've done projects all over London, um, Dorset in Poole, Sandbanks, etc. So yeah, we get involved with some nice projects. Excellent. 
and the project we're going to explore today is in Ladbroke Grove. Um, we're going to look in detail at the design, the installation and the marketing of this uh, development. Alan, before we actually get into the design, tell me how you came about this plot because it was quite unusual, wasn't it? Well, as a developer, obviously uh, we say in development you make your money when you buy, not when you sell. And searching for opportunities is obviously uh, the hunting ground of, of every developer. And on this thing, it was quite uh, unusual. I, I met a lady uh, at a well-known club in London called Annabelle's, and we arranged to, to meet for lunch. And she asked me what I did, and I explained to her, and on, she said that she, she had this property that she was looking to sell. So on the way to lunch, I um, uh, went to look at the property. I sort of scuttled around the back, climbed over the dustbins to look over the, the, the wall and basically I could visualise the potential of it and then uh, we negotiated over lunch uh, terms and uh, I bought the property. Fantastic. Um, uh, it was very simple. And it was a, quite a ramshackle two-storey house on a corner plot? It was what I call a little chocolate box. Um, it was a little one up, one down. It had uh, the, the total area was no more than 650, I think, square foot. Um, it was a miniature two bedroom um, uh, little house. And it had a, a, a place next, next to it uh, to park the car. So what I immediately saw was the actual width of the plot if you took the car parking area into consideration, was wider than the other houses on the street. And one of the problems with a lot of those um, white stucco houses is they all have long, thin living rooms that nobody ever uses. And what I could imagine with this house, you could actually uh, create much better quality space. And um, of course, there are other limitations, but we can go into that later on. Hmm. Okay, and when did all this happen? When did you actually acquire the site? So I bought the site back in about 2008, 2007, 2008, and I basically land banked it for a, a number of years because I didn't actually have the funds to develop it out mm. uh, and rented it out. And uh, we used to make a little bit of money each time there was a Notting Hill carnival by renting it out to people <laughs> who would sell their hot dogs, burgers and burgers and beers, um, which uh, meant I didn't have to spend money boarding it all up to, to stop people coming in and causing uh, uh, mayhem. Okay. And so um, talk to us about the design and how you, how you effectively transformed it from a, a two-story house into a three-story house on that plot. How did that come about? Okay. So First of all, when I talk about design and think about design, what I'm doing with any project, I'm doing nothing more than creating a widget to flog. And interestingly, that's the same connotation that, that, that Steve Jobs used and um, in the manufacturing of his product, and, and we're obviously manufacturing a different type of product, but the, the singular question is, who am I going to sell it to? So you need to have that vision as a developer because there's no point creating something which is real whizzy, but then nobody wants to buy. And so we visualized who it's going to be for and how we can maximize the plot, worked very closely with uh, my architects and came up with some initial designs. Now, before we actually went to planning, because our design was quite radical for that location, we actually rented a local uh, church hall and invited the local residents to come and inspect the plans because we thought better to get the objections earlier on and then see how we can pacify them rather than actually uh, wait until we've gone in for planning and then have various objections, which is what we did. But the design itself was very contemporary in a row of houses. That... It, it was very contemporary, but and what we did is we had a glass panel going vertically all the way up the property, which separated the old and the new. And that was the way that we, we did it to, to be able to, in essence, get away. And 
when you talked about the three stories, yes, we went three stories up, but what we also did, we went two stories down. Oh. So in essence, we had, well, we had five stories in total, and we created something which was just under 3,200 uh, square foot, so we actually increased the size circa five times, wow. which was quite uh, unusual. And more importantly, in the design, we kept very good ceiling heights of 2.75 meters in the lower floors, and also we were able to in inject massive amount of light, which meant that when people went on the lower floors, they didn't have that feeling of being in a, in a basement. I think that's key, isn't it? Those kind of multi-story multi dwellings, particularly in London, they can be quite claustrophobic, can't they? No, absolutely. And also a mistake that some developers think or, or make is they think that by maximizing the, 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 the area, you're maximizing the value but I actually say the, the opposite is the quality of the space and you're much better off having uh, a smaller amount of area, but people are then excited about it. And to reinforce that, we actually registered as a trademark volumetric design uh, to, to basically help get the message across. It's, 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 it's that thing about the TARDIS and Doctor Who, what people see from the outside is very different to what they see from the inside. And I think when you're in those uh, basement floors, you're very conscious that you can see outside. You've created garden spaces outside, haven't you? And, and light wells that actually drive the light down through those basement floors as well. We, we did that, but not we, to, to accentuate on that, we had floor to ceiling glass. We used, uh, we brought in special um, uh, wood decking that we'd sourced in, in uh, Denmark. Uh, which they also use on boats, uh, which was white in order to also um, reflect the light. So basically every trick of the trade we could use, we used in order to enhance that feeling of space and light because certainly in, in central London, you're used to dealing with very tight spaces. And quite dark spaces too. And dark as well. And, you know, the only room uh, that was dark in the... Uh, second basement was the TV room, uh, which I'm sure Luke will uh, talk about uh, in much better detail, because that was the only room in the whole house that didn't have good windows. And technology, how did you have that in your mind in, through the design process? So uh, this may not be what Luke wants to hear, <laughs> but for me, technology on the development is a necessary evil. It's something that I have to put in, but I'm not a technophile myself. I'm more of a technophobe. I like things to be as simple as possible. But when you're looking to develop something uh, to sell, the buyers expect a certain degree of technology. And what's important is the, the technology we put in was A, simple to use of the highest quality, but also again, something that Luke will, will, will talk about further, it could be added to, because everybody has different needs and desires. And we put in, you know, um, uh, not, a, you know, we put in a reasonable amount of technology, um, but it was what we thought was, was uh, necessary and effective to make the best uh, way of enjoying the property. And presumably it had to fit with that simplicity and elegance vibe that you were creating as well. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I would do things, you know, if we put a TV in the room, either it would be recessed into the wall so it looked flush, or we'd had a beautiful wooden frame made to go around it so it looked like a piece of, of artwork as much as you could. Mm. Obviously, that can now be uh, accentuated because there's quite a few TVs now where you can actually... Uh, when it's switched off, it can look like a piece of artwork, uh, which is obviously the way the things are progressing. And I think it's interesting the way you talk about having that potential buyer in mind. Again, the potential buyer has an expectation level of, if they're going to move in, what they, what they expect in terms of a technology lifestyle. 
Well, they, 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 they do expect uh, uh, a degree of technology. And for instance, the, the, the controls for the lighting, it was all uh, touch uh, button. Bear in mind, you see, uh, when I say on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a pad, bear in mind that the sort of people looking to buy a new build property, contemporary property in Notting Hill were you would have thought going to be youngish type people as against oldish type people. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, where we're talking from now in, in the, uh, my apartment in Eaton Square, when we develop this, there will be no touch pads. It will all be button uh, uh, light panels uh, or light switches with, with, with dimmers on because the profile of the buyer here will will be very different and it'll be a lot more traditional and uh, so it's very much horses for courses. Indeed, indeed. And how did you come about choosing Luke's company, Living Home Technology? That, that, that's a really interesting question. For, from my point of view as, as a, a developer, uh, I always look for the line of least resistance because the way that I look upon what we do it's like designing and manufacturing a brand new luxury motor car that's never been designed or manufactured before, but building it in an old factory. So the nature of the game is things happen during the process. And whether you call them issues, problems, challenges, obstacles, whatever, you need to have a good team on board in order to sort these things as and when they come about. So for instance, from the, the, the technology point of view, if you can work with somebody that you've worked with in the past and you've had a good experience and bring them in as part of the team, then obviously that's a lot easier when you're, you're on site because the glass can always be either half full or half empty. And because uh, Luke and his team had, had done a project for us previously where, which had gone very well, uh, they were invited to uh, make a proposal for this project. Okay, and Luke, talk to us a bit about that proposal. When you, when you saw the brief and you saw the... Yeah, so it wasn't your kind of obvious building in, in Notting Hill. Um, for a start, it was a new build, which was quite unique in that area. Um, so it was an exciting project to try and get involved with. Um, and it was very much design-led, working with Landmass before as well. It's about the end goal. Um, that's key, not the technology overpowering that, complicating it for the sake of technology. Um, so we actually, Alan's points it, our company ethos is technology should be simple. It shouldn't be a pain to use. It, it should enhance your living within your space. That is our company ethos and always has been for years. Um, we don't want clients to be frustrated with the technology. It should be there in the background, um, you know, operating your house. And the systems that you decided to deploy, were they decided by Landmass or were they um, proposed by you? How it's always we would put the best products in front of the client and say, this is the best product for you. Uh, are you happy with it? This is the price point. This is how it looks. Um, but we're always presenting the best products. Uh, we're not product led. So we're not one trick um, product. And so in, I know the lighting, we use control, um, uh, Clipsal, CBUS, um, which is very robust, simple to use. So lighting control, obviously very important, and particularly creating that sense of space and light and having something elegant with the panels, presumably very important too. Absolutely. Yeah, and the, the selection of products as well. We work closely with Landmass, with, whereas Landmass were coming from the aesthetics, we were looking at the, the technical side of it as well. Will it dim correctly? Colour temperatures matching throughout, uh, making sure we've got the right cable, the electricians are pulling the right cable from A to B. Um, so that was, that was key to the process as well. And in this type of project, I think comfort is also typically quite an important issue, particularly for the, the prospective buyers. So heating and air conditioning, was that a control? Yes, he heating, um, heat recovery as well within the property. So it's always very airy. Every time I do visit the property, I always kind of feel, you know, I'm out in the countryside or something, not in the middle of, of Notting Hill. Um, so, yeah, we integrated all the controls as well. Um, so the client can heat and cool each room independently um, and efficiently, most importantly, as well. And Alan talked about a TV room, so presumably there's a dark space somewhere. Yeah, it's, um, it, 
We had a, a, a basement cinema TV room, um, very tight space, but it was perfect because it was the only room I think that's not got any natural light, um, which is quite impressive in a two-story basement property. Um, so that was the kind of room that got earmarked for an entertainment media room in there, surround sound. Um, and yeah, that's got a large TV in there because projector just wasn't suitable within that type throw. So we've got a large TV screen in there um, and a big sofa. It's a, it's a really nice space. And what about uh, other entertainment systems in the property? So we've got multi-room audio throughout the property as well with a touchscreen on each floor, which is um, you can control everything from them touchscreens. So heating, lighting, TV, audio um, throughout the property. Um, we've also got a door entry panel at the front door. Um, so any visitors that come through to each panel around the property as well. You can communicate with them clearly, let them in um, if you wish. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a fully integrated system. And a very sophisticated buyer in Alan's mind, expectation levels then that they've got that kind of con integrated control platform that they can operate everything yeah, from at the touch of um, button. Uh, you know, I think even Alan will say it was very easy to use, um, it, which is key for us. Um, we want anyone to be able to walk into that property and it should be intuitive. Um, you know, scene control from the front door panel should be intuitive. A welcome scene is, is what you're going to hit first. Um, your all-off scene is going to turn all the systems off for you as well on your way out of the front door. I've been to a number of development sites where you end up with a row of switches on the wall. Yeah, the wall acne, as we call it in the industry. And obviously with landmass being design-led and, and us as a company, it's a good match because I personally hate to see a thermostat next to an AC controller, next to a light switch, next to a door entry panel. Um, it actually drives me um, up the wall, if you like, every time I see that, when an integrator shares it, I think actually a bit of a design for earlier on, it doesn't have a massive impact on cost. Um, you've got all these systems there that you could get all these boxes off of the wall. Is that easier to overcome in a new build rather than a retrofit? Yeah, absolutely. All these systems are easier to do from a, a design, a new build. Um, but if you're completely renovating a, a property, you know, you've still got the chance there to get cables into the right place and get these boxes off of the wall. Um, I think giving that option to the end user is important because they're always going to say, yeah, get them off of my wall. Um, and I've got one nice, neat touchscreen or pad that, that does everything for me. Now, the way you're talking about it, I guess that there's quite a lot of cable in this property. Yes, there is, and there was um, sort of hurdles there as well to, to overcome with, um, you know, there was no main high-riser route, if you like, to, to get all these cables in. So we've actually got about four different panel locations for lighting. Um, all the AV is down in the basement because we've got a nice little plant room there um, for it all to be housed in. So yes, there was a lot of cabling that, that went into this property, um, which made it easier for when the end user bought the property, they actually added and expanded the system without chasing any walls. It was a kind of, yes, you can have this, this is your options and, and go from there. And one thing I hear a lot as a wish list from integrators is that it's great to be involved early in the design of a project. How did that work with Landmass? Yeah, we, we were involved very early, which is great because it, it gave us a chance to do our in-house design as well to make sure we had the right cables in place, not only for Allen's and Landmass's needs, but also with a view of who's gonna be buying this property what might they want in this area um, and making sure we try and get enough enough cable in this house to, to make that possible so there's no friction there to to anyone expanding the system at all i guess that's the necessary evil bit isn't it when he's coming to you saying i need this space to put boxes or hide stuff away and you're thinking eh, do you really need it the, the problem is often uh more with the air conditioning people uh where do you put the plant uh, how do you get that integrated into the furniture, into the wardrobes, etc. So actually the, the audio-visual stuff is a, a walk in the park compared to that. Okay. And what role did Landmass have in the actual technology design? Um, we kind of liaised with them. The lighting, they, they got heavily involved with what fittings they wanted to use and they selected what fittings and this is how many we want, etc. So the the, the RCPs, if you like, of the ceilings were very much on, on land masses remit. Um, I think we were kind of left to design the rest of it and Alan had his wish list of what he wanted 
Um, I know what was important was that scene of when your estate agent comes in, can he hit one button and all of this happens. And we made sure that was catered for and, and it did happen. And how long did that design process take for, from you getting the brief to delivering a, an accepted design? It's, it's probably nine to 12 months, I'd say, of to and froing of now this has changed, etc. until you know the guys were on site actually pulling copper in. It was probably that lengthy period. Um, and, you know, I know room layouts changed, etc. throughout the process. So then obviously there's a knock-on effect where our design changes. So yeah, it's, it, it's always great to be involved at that early stage. We would rather that, let's get it right the first time rather than someone coming to you and going, right, we, we, we're plastering and we want this, it's too late. So earlier the better. How easy is that for you as a business to manage? Because taking such a long time, you've got, you've got costs that you're incurring and you've got to manage that time and resource. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, it, it, sometimes you can get bogged down with how many hours you're spending on this, etc. You've just got to take a view of it sometimes with the bigger picture and go, okay, well, you know, this is hopefully a client for years. Let's help them um, through the process. Um, and it's easier to get right than, than to, to kind of down tools on it and say, well, we, we've exhausted our design fee on this project. So now we're not going to put any thought into this design. And then you come to second fix with your engineers on site. It's going to cost you even more money because the wrong cable has been pulled into the wrong point. So sometimes I think our industry gets too fixated on man hours, if you like, at the design stage where it's designed properly you're actually going to make more money on that project because it should go swimmingly well. And how, was, how did you think it worked in that design process? Were you happy with the designs that Luke's, Luke's company came up with? If I wasn't happy, I wouldn't be sat here. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> um, and uh, it doesn't really matter whether I'm happy. What really only matters is whether the buyer is happy. The, the design was fine and also we were built up a degree of trust because there was one incident where um, his brother suggested that I upgraded one of the TVs, uh, which was actually in the, TV, in the media room, uh, to a high def definition television, which is, I did at an additional uh, cost, obviously, but he, he reckoned it would be worthwhile. And um, I think that the, the boys who bought the property uh, enjoy that. And just one more thing, I mean, in terms of budgeting for something like technology, we talked about it being a necessary evil. Um, how do you work out that kind of cost-benefit ratio? Is that, is that easy for you as a developer to get your head around and, and put in practice? In the projects I do, I look at what is the minimum I can get away with having to put in from, from a practical point of view. Um, and I put myself in the mind of the buyer and also of what I think will look best when trying to sell it. People, when they look at a property, they, first of all, they look through their consciousness, then they have their subconsciousness, and then they have their super subconsciousness. So you don't know what they're gonna pick up. The second thing is, every, we're all different. Some people are visual, some people are auditory, some people are kinesthetic. Some people are about taste, some people about smell. So the, that's the other game that I have to play. And so uh, we had TVs in, in all the bedrooms. Uh, we had one in the kitchen area. We had one in the, in the little study area. We had a desk uh, and of course in the, in the media room. And when we had a viewing, uh, the TVs were all on. There was sound coming out. In fact, no, there wasn't sound coming out because we had music instead. Uh, but that is, you know, there we're setting the scene. And, uh, and so from a visual point of view, it was super important that they, that they hit the mark. And, um, and obviously they did. Fantastic. Right. Next, let's find out how things worked in practice. AWE are proud distributors of Sony televisions and home cinema projectors, bringing you the best content from lens to living room. For more information, visit awe-europe.com.
Alan, when did work on the build actually commence? Uh, 20, I think 14. 2014, okay, so, and quite a lot of um, work to actually get the foundations in, presumably, or demolition first before foundations. Yeah, I mean, it was a two, it was a two year build. Uh, it took that time, we had a double basement, it was a very difficult site to work on. And also during the process, uh, I actually had missed out the fact that the ceiling heights that we had in the initial planning permission were 2.5 meter ceiling heights for the lower floors. And I wanted to get that changed to 2.75. So that meant having to dig down a bit more. And of course, the further you dig, the more difficult it becomes. Aside from that, how smoothly did things progress? From my point of view, it was smooth because I had a good team and they knew what they were doing because as and when they came up against challenges, obstacles, hurdles, problems that we talked about earlier, uh, they found the solution for it. So a couple of uh, examples, uh, they hit some severe hard rock uh, when they were digging, so they had to build, bring in a special digger from Germany to sort that issue out. Uh, so that was quite a, a big thing. Uh, on a much smaller thing, we um, had some light fittings brought over from Italy. And when they arrived, the, 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 the gubbins within the light fittings were obviously designed for an Italian uh, uh, electronics, which weren't compatible with, with UK uh, uh, quality controls. And so rather than the foreman throwing his toys out the pram saying, oh, you have to get an electrician down here, you have to do this, you have to do that. He just walked around the corner to the local hardware store, got the bits and bobs he needed and sorted it out. So that's what I talk a little bit about a team game and the hassle. Uh, another example, um, kitchens. We all know that no matter how much detail uh, and drawings uh, a kitchen designer and uh, supplier does, when it arrives on site, it never fits properly. Uh, so I, I'm aware of that before it happens. And when the contractor asked me which company he's, I was going to use for the, to build the kitchen, I said to him, well, who do you use? And he said, well, I use Bob around the corner. I said, well, if Bob's good enough for you, he's good enough for me. Because for me, what's a kitchen? It's doors, carcasses um, uh, from, from the builder, from the, uh, the kitchen builder, uh, and the, the hinges, the closers, the worktops, the splashbacks, the appliances, uh, we all specify separately. So, uh, and of course, when it came to site, of course it didn't fit, but we expected that, but then the solution was easily done. And how does that collaboration work from your perspective? Because it must be tricky, particularly when you're doing the HVAC and the lighting control, you must tread on other trades. It, yeah, there is always that crossover and, and sometimes on other projects you do get that kind of friction of who are you? I've been, do, you know, if you've got someone that's been in the industry of air conditioning for 20 years and I'm now telling them, no, we don't need your keypads on the walls and get them off and don't bother supplying them. There some times can be that kind of friction there. Um, with this project, it was very much can-do attitude. Um, I do remember that through the process of regular site meetings and things, it was all, this is the direction we're going, um, this is the end goal, and we were all pulling to that, to that end result. And how did you actually schedule your um, works on site? How did you program it in? Liaising closely with the design team, so that would be Landmass and the contractor mainly, of what's your programme. Um, obviously, we all know programmes do kind of go a bit... Um, off-piece sometimes on, on most projects if we're honest but it's, it's about just liaising with them um, constantly not just assuming that will be ready on that date is actually visiting site um, and we're quite hot on visiting site and actually seeing it for our own eyes as well is, is site ready for our guys in two three weeks time to come and install all this equipment um, and managing that ourselves internally with equipment delivery dates um, engineer schedules as well you know we've got other projects running side by side sometimes and overlapping so it's just just making sure we're we're kind of constant contact um, with the design team on the project and what challenges in particular did you face on this one 
Um, there was frictions with some things, you know, electrician um, on, on this one was, was kind of, hadn't done this type of system before. So we maybe had to hold his hand a little bit more than we would another electrician that has done this project, which is normal. Um, we can't always cherry pick what electrician does the first fix for us and does their electrical bits, unfortunately. Um, so we would be managing them on, a, a lot more on this project, um, explaining a bit more in detail. Um, but that'd be our project manager doing that on site, making sure that he understands this is why we're doing it and this is what we need. And what about working on, on top of other trades in a way? Because you've got lots of narrow space within yeah, this property. Yeah, it was a busy site. I mean, it, uh, even a site meeting was challenging. Um, you know, we didn't have a big site office. Um, you know, it just wasn't the space for it. So it was a challenge. Um, even just cable routes throughout the house was, was a challenge. And it took a lot of management between us, the AC guys, and also the electricians as well. So, yeah, it's just forward planning is, is, was, was the key. Do you use any particular tools for project management? Um, we've got in-house um, software that we use for you know what engineers going to be doing what when. Um, so they've got tasks on each project. Um, this is your time frame to do this um, because it highlights to us if if you have overrun why was it something on site? Um, you know, is it something that we did? Um, and we can it highlights that of this is what we need to do different next time um, because of that last issue. Yeah. And you talked about equipment delivery. Um, yeah. How do you actually figure out when you buy the equipment and when you get it onto site? We try and manage that as best we can, um, liaising with the site team because we can't just send equipment to site and leave it there um, for obvious security reasons. So it, it is the engineers will pick the equipment, take it to site and fit it that day or the next day. Um, that's kind of how we like to manage it. So it's, if it's not getting bolted down or, or installed, it doesn't go to site. And what about the panels? Were they built off-site or did you build them when you actually... Uh, the lighting site? panels on this one are actually built on-site. Yeah, so we had different size panels around the property. So we, we did a, an in-detailed um, schematic for each lighting panel in each location. But also we would give them dimensions to the furniture guys of because it was often hidden in cupboards, etc. that this is the, the space we need. And did the, did the design evolve at all during the installation? If so, why was that? Yeah, we had a few instances where, you know, speakers would need to move because HVAC duct has now gone there um, for whatever reason. You know, there's a, a big steel in the way, so the ducts have to shuffle over. Um, but it's, it was managing the, the aesthetics of that and making sure landmass and animal were happy with where we moved the speaker to. Um, you know, it, it's pointless to us just putting a hole in the ceiling there and going, that's where it's got to go. Um, there's that juggle of, of it's, yes, it's got sound great, but it's also got to look good as well. Any other particular difficulties that you recall from this project? No, no. I suppose we're quite an experienced company, so it's day-to-day -day issues that happen on every site, to be honest. So we kind of deal with it in our way. Um, I like to think is, is a good way. Okay. So. Excellent. Okay. And when was the project actually completed? When did you um, finish to, to go about marketing it? From recollection, around 2016. Okay, so, yeah, pretty efficient. And just in terms of the uh, control system, it was a control four um, integration, wasn't it? Yeah, so the control system was control four. Uh, yeah. how, how much time did you spend on site configuring everything to make sure that it actually worked? So we did an initial commissioning day, if you like, or two, um, and got the system probably to about 90% of what Alan and Landmass wanted. Um, kind of left them guys to it dressing the property um, and then we went back I believe for another day with Alan and just actually fine-tuning what scenes he wanted set in each room for lighting um, you know the all-off scene um, that type of thing and, and the, obviously the welcome scene where it had their media playing around the property and different music in different areas um, that was important for the marketing side. And I guess when you're doing the heating and air conditioning control, the big challenge is to make sure that the air conditioning doesn't work when the heating's on. Yeah, 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 absolutely. The interlocks there are very important. And a lot of takeovers we do, we see it all the time where that's not done. Um, it's so important and key that a client can just hit an up and down arrow. And in the background, uh, you've got an auto system there that will kick in the air con or the heating system. Um, so it's simple to use still, but you can never have heating on and air con on. 
What's the key to that? Um, it's quite difficult if you don't know how, I suppose, but we've been writing um, specific software for this for years, for over 10 years we've been doing this. So um, we're used to sort of trend system and building management systems within these properties. Um, it, it's always been uh, key for us to, to achieve that on every project. Um, and if you explain it to a client, they, they, that's on their wish list as well. And you talked earlier about the wall acne. Yep. Avoiding that was important. What about ceiling acne? So we did, on this property, we did have um, conventional speakers, um, but they were the slimline ultra thin bezel um, and the trims were also painted into the, the ceilings as well. Um, so, and because of the high ceilings, um, I don't, we didn't feel the need to go to like an Amina plaster over speaker. Um, because it's just going to push and push that budget up as well. Um, at the end of the day, our client was a developer as well, so you've got to have one eye on the budget. And I guess in ceiling speakers, you can get nicer bezels, nicer looking ones, Absolutely. less intrusive ones. Yeah, yeah. it was the ultra thin bezel as well, which came onto the market then, so it was great, great solution. Excellent. Thanks both. Fascinating insight. Next, we're going to look at how the property was marketed after this short break. The world of connected home technology is changing fast. Make sure you're ahead of the innovation curve with a visit to Integrated Systems Europe. The show takes place at the Rye Amsterdam, 11th to the 14th February 2020. Use registration code 434078 for free entry to the show. Visit iseurope.org. Okay, so we've heard about the design and the installation. Let's look now at how the property was marketed and how it was sold and also the role of technology within that purchase decision-making. So uh, the kind of customer that you had in mind for this home, do you want to just talk a bit more about who that actually was? You said that was important from the outset, so give me a bit of a profile of, of who that person was. Some, somebody buying a new build property, first of all, wants something which is hassle-free and are prepared to pay a premium for it. Secondly, because of the uh, design uh, creativity throughout the property, it was going to be somebody who wanted that type of look. Um, thirdly, from a practical point of view, they, they obviously didn't want any hassle. Uh, because that's the big advantage of a, of a new build, as long as it's built well, of course. Um, so we we reckoned it was going to be uh, somebody in their 30s or 40s. Uh, obviously, they had to have uh, access to uh, quite a large amount of money because the property uh, was uh, marketed for... Um, 5.75 million um, and it was you know somebody who, who would appreciate all those things and also the bit of the quirkiness of the property because it was not in a traditionally uh, fashionable part of Notting Hill but it was something where we felt we'd, we'd accentuated the positives as against the negatives to, to turn it round so that they would have uh, an understanding of what we'd done, but also, more importantly, enjoy the product. And um, so that was it. You, you know, we, we had it initially under offer to somebody from Malta, but they couldn't get the money. Then we had a Middle East lady who wanted it, uh, but then she changed her mind. Then we had a, uh, another Middle East person who was looking at it quite s seriously and uh, we actually had uh, uh, agreed terms with them. Um, uh, but then the, the two Swiss uh, twin brothers came along and uh, they were the eventual uh, buyers. And did you anticipate it being an overseas buyer from the start? In somewhere like Notting Hill, which is actually pretty British, you don't really know where the buyer's going to come from. And what was interesting, though, was uh, quite a lot of the actual serious buyers came from people, from agents outside of Notting Hill, uh, where the reason being they were looking for 
a new build property and there's not a lot of new build houses in central London as, as you may well be aware so uh, it was more the fact that they was they said well there, there is this property but it's in Notting Hill do you want to come and have a look at it and and that's how they they we, we came to get uh, actually the, the most interest and from visiting the property the experience for me starts even before you walk in inside it's that you're at the gate and you're thinking oh this is unusual immediately that impression is is one you get from the street and then it's that secure entry which i think is super important and then you you get sort of carried through into the house with the the music as you enter is it's really neat well uh it's interesting you say that jeff because I'm, I'm all about creating that experience before people walk through the door because unless you actually able to do that properly, uh, you're on the back foot. So again, I do things which maybe other people don't do. I uh, had my contractor power wash the pavement outside, clean the street signs outside. We decorated the adjoining house, which hadn't been decorated for a long time. Uh, we repainted their, their front uh, elevation. Uh, we redid the garden uh, next to us, uh, which had been, uh, to be fair, ruined a little bit through our contractors. Um, but we, we, in essence, gentrified as much as possible uh, the area around it. The second thing is, uh, we had a, a gate going into the property. The, the colour scheme for the gate, the design of the gate, all complemented the other colours uh, of the property. Secondly, the, the, the handle, the knob on the gate, uh, was a beautifully designed stainless steel handle. But also, <clears throat> when you open the gate, we had compressing compressors behind the gate which were also color-coded, so it had a very, very nice feeling and swung back. Many people would have cut corners on things like that because they weren't cheap, but it's, in, in my mind, it's, it's some of those little things that, that count. When you then arrived at the door, which had stunning uh, ironmongery on and beautifully designed, um, we had the number of the property, of course, and again, uh, instead of somebody going down to a, a DIY shop and buying the numbers off, off the shelf, we actually had a design company uh, create that logo. So we had that commissioned for the number of the property. We were then able to use that logo later with other parts of the interior, such as the doormat, the bathrobes, the towels, and the crockery that we had made up in Manchester uh, to, to complement the rest of the property. Uh, so amazing attention to detail. It is amazing. For me, it's natural. Um, the amazing attention to detail came from something quite bizarre, where for some reason I had this idea of getting the toilet paper uh, designed with the logo on, and we found a company in America uh, to do that. So if you can say was no stern not unturned i can pretty much comfortably say that fantastic did the technology have a role in toilets in it didn't no no we stayed out of that one <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but the entrance uh, scene that you programmed do you want to just talk us through that again a little bit yeah it's um alan come to us obviously knew that he had a, a control system in place and his wish list was that the, the agents marketing the property could walk in um, and simply touch a button and that created the, the chosen scene for them. Um, so they didn't have to run around the property half an hour before a showing and turn different temperatures to this and TVs on, and which on other projects we've had before and you end up with the estate agent in a panic ringing the office and how do I get this on and how do I turn that off? It, it was simple for them to use. Um, and I think with the eventual buyers of this property, I think Adam will, will echo is they fell in love with the technology that was already in place as well. 
And you're actually maintaining that for them? Yeah, now. so we still maintain the system um, for the two Swiss brothers um, to this day. Um, they're great clients and they actually expanded and upgraded the system over the last couple of years as well because they, they love to embrace the technology, yeah. So a profitable job for living home technology? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, the, the guys that are in there, they're always kind of asking what's new, what can we upgrade? Um, we actually put a, a new uh, data and Wi-Fi network in for them a couple of weeks before Christmas because they've now got fiber coming into the property. So they wanted to utilize them speeds throughout the property. Um, so they've now got high speed internet um, which is great. 2020, it's, um, it's finally happened. <laughs> it's coming to us all soon. And how would you sum up your experience, Alan? Well, again, um, the proof of the puddings in the eating. And when I was last at the property, I asked uh, one of the brothers who, who lives there, I asked him two questions. I said, was there anything that we didn't do in the design and development of the property that you wish that we had done. And the second question was there anything that we did do in the design and development of the property that you wish that we had not done. And his answer to both was no. So um, from that point of view, um, we've got a satisfied customer and uh, uh, they're enjoying the property, you know, as Luke said, they're upgrading bits and bobs. Uh, they love the place to bits, and that gives me immense satisfaction. Thank you, Alan and Luke, for your contributions. If you want to find out more about this fantastic project, then please click on the links available in the show information section with this episode. Remember, we're available free on podcast platforms everywhere. You can follow us on Twitter at IntHomePod, on Facebook and Instagram at IntegratedHomePod, and on LinkedIn at The Integrated Home Podcast. The Integrated Home is brought to you with the support of Meridian Audio, AWE, Sony, and Integrated Systems Europe. We are a Wildwood and Alfie Media production.